0: Welcome to the Pittsburgh Current Podcast. I'm Bethany Rue, Associate Publisher for Pittsburgh Current, coming at you live from Sorgatron Media in beautiful downtown Beachfield And folks, if, if the weather this morning doesn't put a spring in your step, Fall is in the air, and it's a wonderful thing. Um, Speaking of fall, our fall guide just came out on Tuesday. You could pick this up right now. There are hundreds of things in here to do this fall. It'll keep you busy all fall long, as well as our usual opinions, arts coverage, dance, news. I did a vermouth tasting. Vermouth is apparently trying to become like the next big thing. So you can read all of that in here. So pick up your copy today. What do we have going on? Tonight, we will be at P-Town Bar on Baum Boulevard. We are officially launching the Sex with Michelle James podcast. We've been talking about it for a while. Michelle's going to be there tonight. We're going to be hanging out. There's some drink specials. And afterwards, there's karaoke. So if you know me at all, you know how much I love karaoke. And will I be singing? That is affirmative. I will be. We also have a uh, we're giving away an ace axe throwing scavenger hunt team sign up over on our Facebook post. And actually the first clue for the scavenger hunt is in this issue. So if you pick it up and you're doing the scavenger hunt with Ace, you will have a leg up on your competition and you'll be reading the best paper in Pittsburgh. This Saturday, my partner in crime, Charlie Deach, will be doing Dangerously Live with John McIntyre. He will be joined by my good friend, Bethany Hallam, and our this tea's funny columnist, the incredibly hilarious local comic, Gab and S.O. So make sure you check that out. They will be at Brillo Box. I don't have a link for it, so this is low-tech here. I think zoom in on it, you see that? So make sure you guys check that out. Saturday, September 28th. And um, my final announcement of the day is it is International Talk Like a Pirate Day, so if you're that person and you know who you are, you can go annoy your coworkers after the podcast. Arr. Arr. Okay, so today I am really excited for the podcast today. We are joined by a very special guest, director of the Andy Warhol Museum, Mr. Patrick Moore.
1: Welcome, Patrick. Good morning. You're busy.
0: We are. I drink a lot of
1: coffee. Yeah, and vermouth, apparently. And
0: vermouth. Well, I was tasting it. One doesn't really throw back vermouth. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah, it's it's more of a cocktail spirit. Um, So you're pretty busy as well. Let's hear a little bit about... The day and the life of the director of the Andy Warhol Museum. <laughs> Walk me, because I'm sure every day is just typical.
1: A day in the life. Yeah, you you just had to hit me with that out of the blue. Yeah, I'm just going to
0: break the ice right there. Yeah.
1: Well, it's maybe less glamorous than one would imagine. Um, I'm not around, sort of uh, examining Warhol paintings for the most part, although I do do that sometimes, but. You know, a lot of the life of any museum director is raising money, but that means you get to meet a lot of interesting people. Um, But I'm, you know, I'm over there working with an amazing uh, curatorial team, so we are talking a lot about our exhibitions, and I know we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Uh, Right at the moment, if you were to drive by the Warhol, you would see that we are under heavy construction. Uh, you know, we have an incredible historic building that we house the museum in, and we have taken out all of our windows and replaced them. Maybe it does not sound so exciting, but this is deeply exciting to me. So a day in the life of the director involves supervising things like that. We've torn down an old, rather decrepit building that Pittsburghers may remember, the Rosa Villa.
0: Ooh. Yes, I you do remember know? that. Yes, I might have been there a time or two, in my. <laughs> might have you? been
1: there. Um, the Rosa Villa is no more, um, but there will be a lovely green space across from the museum that looks much better than that uh, falling down Rosa Villa that was over there. You know, the a museum is a business, um, and a business needs to run well, and a director needs to oversee the business. So like any business, you spend a lot of your day in a in meetings uh, and lots of unexpected things come up. So you have to be a little bit nimble and deal with the unexpected things that come up as well as planning out the future.
0: So I know the Rose Villa got teared down, but I, I don't think I knew that it was for a green space. So that whole thing is going to be...
1: Part of it is... Uh, parking but then also there's a lovely little green space and we're actually embarked in uh, on a uh, about 18 month planning process to figure out what we will do with it in the future Uh, we hope that it will be of use to the Warhol and the community but right now there'll be yeah a very attractive green space
0: as well okay well now we'll step it back a little bit okay (laughs) So you, mm-hmm. I know you're a Carnegie Mellon University graduate, Iowa transplant, um, kind of brought you to Pittsburgh. What sort of ignited your passion for Andy Warhol? Because before you even came to the museum, you, you were a lover of him and his work. So sort of what, what drew you to him as an artist?
1: Well, you know, I grew up in Iowa, and I remember, um, as you may and a lot of people may, Andy was so forward-thinking as an artist he was one of the few artists who really did penetrate mass media, <clears throat> and Andy had a uh, television show that he produced for MTV. You remember that?
0: I don't know if you're I you're would... too
1: young. Oh, stop! You are far. I too remember, the, to remember. I remember that. MTV. <laughs> well, in the 1980s, Andy did um, produce this show for MTV, and I remember as a young person in Iowa seeing that television show, and that. Show was like a portal into a world of glamour and excitement and sophistication uh, and art, fashion, um, music that I couldn't imagine. And that was really, as you know, a person, a very young person in Iowa, the first time that I became really aware of Warhol. And I remember sitting in Iowa and watching that television show and thinking, if only, if only I could be a part of something like that. And I didn't go quite so far as New York City. I went first to a really amazing school named Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh and fell in love with Pittsburgh, but it was my first awareness of Warhol Not so much as an artist, but as a kind of portal into everything that I found fascinating and unattainable. But imagine um, that Andy would have been the person, the artist, the kind of public persona that could have reached some kid in Iowa uh, through that sort of project. So that was my first awareness of
0: Warhol. As you talk to other Warhol lovers, do do you find that to be... I don't want to say necessarily a common experience, but maybe a bonding experience that that a lot of people sort of saw him as a portal to another way?
1: Depends. Uh, You know, in terms of art people, you know, uh, a curator will have a very different view of Warhol. A curator will talk to you about how influential Warhol's work was on a whole different level. Some people will talk about Warhol and what they loved about the 1980s <clears throat> or the 1970s in New York City, the music, uh, the, the fun of that time. Everybody, Warhol is like a touchstone uh, to things that people associate, I think, with American culture um, that has sort of passed of another time. But Warhol is a kind of, there's a commonality of um, with Warhol, um, that a lot of people, it's an instant bonding thing as you imply.
0: hmm Now we, we talked a little bit before we went on the air, um, about mm-hmm. a little bit about Warhol, the, the man. And I know one of the things that I was sort of not really surprised, but I guess I hadn't really thought much about it, um, that I found in my research is he was very deeply, um, he was a man of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, that that probably informed a lot of his art, I mean, is that something that you could you could speak to and maybe give people a little bit of a view into that part of his life?
1: yeah, um I'd love to talk about that when When I became the director of the museum, I wanted us to start to focus on what I believed were these aspects of Warhol that still were not widely known and appreciated by the public and it's easy to judge what they are, because when I give a tour of the museum, much like you just expressed, um, and if I talk about Catholicism and Warhol's Catholicism, people say exactly that, I never knew that. So we wanted to focus on those, I never knew that moments with Warhol. And Catholicism is certainly one of them, and a deeply important one of them, Uh when Warhol came here and the Warhola family came here as an um, immigrant family, you know, they came to this country as immigrant families do with very little except the family bond and their folk traditions and their religion. They were Carpatho Rusyn and they came here uh, as byzantine catholic and that catholic faith sustained them and it really formed andy as who he was in many many ways Uh, he went to church very frequently with his family and the kind of ritual of that the visual culture of the church we believe, very much uh, helped form him as a person and as an artist. And it didn't simply go away after he became an adult. He continued to go to church throughout his life. And the last series of work that he did uh, as an artist were the Last Supper paintings. So from a very early child to the time of his uh, death, he was not only going to church but making work that directly referenced uh, the Catholic experience and his faith. This doesn't mean that Andy was a priest, uh, <laughs> that he uh, was some kind of saintly aesthetic uh, person. Um, Uh, He also probably was deeply conflicted as a gay man about his relationship to the church. So it's not a simple story. Mm -hmm. It's a deeply complex story, but it's one that's really worth telling, and it's amazing. It's never been told. So the exhibition that opens on uh, October 20th uh, to the public in relationship to our um, 25th anniversary called uh, Andy Warhol Revelation, is drawn entirely from our collection. It includes not only these glorious paintings and drawings and films but also archival material um, such as icons from Andy's childhood church here in Pittsburgh and um, mass cards, uh, a plaster uh, Jesus uh, statue that Andy painted as a child, all sorts of really kind of fascinating material
0: so that is the new exhibit that's opening the revelation and we are coming up on the 25th anniversary of the Warhol Museum so I do I remember the Warhol Museum opening uh, what you know what sort of um, in your time there what are some of the Major changes or shifts that you 've seen in terms of the direction of the museum, maybe some of the content, some of the other artists that you that you 've been able to bring in yeah. um, you know what, what, how have you sort of left your mark and brought your patrickism into <laughs> the, I just made a new word <laughs> you 're free to use that and you could go ahead uh, but how did you bring yourself kind of into the museum, and how has that manifested and changed since it opened?
1: One thing is this return to scholarship. Uh, I have an extraordinary team of curators, you know, our amazing Jose, but also Jessica Beck and um, other curators. And these are nationally recognized Warhol experts. So I wanted to give them an opportunity to do important Warhol exhibitions and also to explore um, emerging artists at the same time. So we sort of toggle back and forth between those two things important scholarly exhibitions on Warhol, and then exhibitions like Jessica's Devin Shimoyama exhibition uh, that just closed uh, earlier this year, a first museum exhibition by an amazing Pittsburgh artist who's going on to become uh, a really extraordinary art star in the larger art world that are deeply relevant to our local community. Um, speaking about issues that are um, emerging in our community, um, uh, such as race and gender and sexuality. Uh, For me as a director, I think that the most important thing that I work on and the most important issue that I'm interested in is around um, equity and, and diversity and inclusion so the museum has pivoted very strongly towards being a national leader on those issues we've received a lot of funding both nationally and locally to build education programs that help young people um, build a pathway to um, skill building around 21st century skills that will help them in the world And make sure that diverse young people think about the Warhol and other art museums as a place that they can actually have a career. Uh, Museums can be really intimidating, and they can seem like these white towers that, if you're a diverse young person, um, that you don't belong there. And we know that a lot of people who work in museums look like me, and. Not everybody who works in a museum should look look like me. So the Warhol is a leader in diversifying our staff, and we've got a lot of work to do, and we're um, engaged in that work, deeply engaged in that work. So for me, that's the most exciting part of my work. That's the thing that inspires me, and I think it's um, the work of an art museum in 2019.
0: I love that. Um, I do want to remind our viewers, by the way, that they can also ask Patrick questions. We are on Facebook Live. You could just drop your question in the comments, and either myself or Sorg will get to it. Um, I'm also going to do a quick little read-in here. Oh, do we already have a question? Let me do my read-in, and then we'll get to it. Um, So this is from – oh, no, you're just just waving at me. Hey. Uh, This is from the Greater Pittsburgh Arts Council. Celebrate the artists that inspire us on Friday, September 27th. Mm As Pittsburgh's Cultural District is transformed for the 2019 Governor's Award for the Arts, featuring a block party with DJ Nate the Barber, fantastic. The Funky Fly Project and the Hill Dance Academy Theater from 4 to 7, plus the Culture Cultural District Gallery Crawl from 5:30 to 10. You can learn more at Pittsburgh Arts org slash events. So if you're looking for plans on Friday, please feel free to head out. The Cultural Trust has you covered. Um, another thing that I was surprised to find out a lot of surprises for me as I was researching to chat with you, the Warhol family is still very much so involved with the museum. I noticed your headshot was taken by Abby Warhola. And I mentioned that and you said, yes, she's family. And now his nephew, I believe Don, is still involved.
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, Abby is the only person who's ever been able to take a good picture of me. So I'm (laughs) deeply and grateful to, uh, Abby and indebted to her, uh, But, you know, Donald Warhola, who is Andy's nephew, uh, literally works for us, and Donald's an extraordinary man. He worked for Andy uh, briefly in New York City, and Donald uh, is the liaison between the Andy Warhol Foundation in New York City and the museum. He also works in our education department, working, um, we do a lot of programs with traumatized children and um, autistic children. And Donald gives these wonderful tours in the museum on a regular basis that are literally about the Warhol family. And visitors love these tours because it brings alive a lot of the things we're talking about, the immigrant experience, uh-huh. the, um, the Catholic experience, Um, But Donald can really talk about his grandparents and how um, they interacted with Andy and all of those things that, you know, visitors, most visitors who come to the Warhol are not art experts. Most visitors who come to the Warhol know Andy as a public uh, person. And so they want to know about things like how the family interacted with him. Did he continue to interact with the family, which indeed he did after he moved to New York City? Donald has all of these stories that bring the work alive. So Donald's a great guy.
0: You know, it's, <clears throat> if you think that the Warhol Museum is just a museum, clearly you would be wrong. It sounds like you guys have such a complete suite of, I don't want to say services, but I mean, you guys are doing so much more than just putting art out in front of people. And I find that really deeply interesting and I'm very glad that you guys are doing that. We talked a little bit too about um, what is coming up. We were talking about if we could preview maybe next year is the one that we were chatting about. Yeah. If you want to, I'm really excited
1: for this one. It's another of these, I never knew that <laughs> exhibitions um, and it's called the femme touch rather than the feminine touch. Uh-huh. And it is Uh, It's really an interesting project because it's not curated by one person, it's curated by our entire curatorial team. And the idea is that Andy was this gay guy in New York City, but he was deeply influenced by all these strong, extraordinary women in his life from his childhood, starting with his mom, Julia Warhola, but... um, there were a series of them, muses, uh, patrons, co-workers, and we wanted to show that women were incredibly important in shaping who he was and the art that he made. So the entire museum is going to be kind of restructured um, starting early next year for this museum-wide exhibition called the Fem Touch, and when you come to the museum you'll be handed a guide and you'll throughout the museum you'll see these lovely pink and I think in even some cases neon signs that will guide you through a um, reinstalled permanent collection and then when you get to the second floor a kind of fully realized exhibition that show you how women shaped who Andy was and um, I think you'll see that without the influence of strong women, Andy Warhol would not have been Andy warhol
0: we had also talked to about how deeply insecure he was, and I think that might be another one of those people don 't realize because he was such a he just appeared to be such a strong figure, but you said no actually he was very insecure
1: well especially about his physical yes being uh Jessica Beck. Our Milton Fine curator did a really beautiful exhibition a year or two ago called My Perfect Body, and it was about exactly that. And Jessica's done incredible original research around this issue about, you know, Andy loved to be surrounded by beautiful, glamorous people, but he could not see beauty in himself. And we have this extraordinary thing in our collection, which is... um, you know in how passport photos, you get two of them? Uh-huh. So we have these two passport photos from Andy, and in one of them, he's taken his nose and redrawn his nose uh, because he was always so insecure about his nose. You thought it was bulbous. And so he wanted it to be um, narrower and beautiful in a traditional way. And it, you know, in the early very influential paintings from the 1960s, you see again and again cosmetic surgery, girdles, um, this deep kind of shameful interior thing juxtaposed with Marilyn Monroe. (laughs) And the, the great beauties of Warhol's world were never quite traditional beauties. They were tragic beauties. Um, so Warhol's image of beauty is always um, tweaked and and imperfect, and you know Warhol Warhol was anything but a traditional beauty himself. You know he had the hair was falling out, uh, <clears throat> always a wig. Um, there was a beautiful exhibition that just uh, photographed that. Uh, Jessica put in that exhibition of Warhol in his early days in New York at the beach. And here he is, all of his beautiful young friends are romping around the beach uh, in Fire Island in their swimsuits. And here's Andy, I think he has on a, a shirt, a sweater. He could not be more covered up, this poor, poor young creature. You know, he's entirely cloaked with everybody else, uh, you know, unclothed. So it's not a, a feel-bad story because Andy used all that insecurity as artists do and made beautiful art out of it. So he did the best he could with what he had.
0: Which is all any of us could do, really, yeah, right? Yeah, right? <laughs> um, Do you have a personal favorite anecdote that has been passed down or a story that you've heard or just something that just really is meaningful to you about Andy?
1: Um, well, I have many of them, um, related to that topic, uh, John Jorno, who was one of Andy's lovers, tells a story of Andy, um, he and Andy were at a friend's cabin, and, uh, you know, Andy actually had quite a good body. He exercised, he was strong, uh, he was a dancer, and John was laying on the bed. And Andy emerged from the shower, and uh, Andy was naked. And John looked up and he said, My God, Andy, you're beautiful. So you think that the end of this story is that they will fall into each other's arms and make love on a warm summer afternoon, but Andy immediately covered himself. So there is this inability to see beauty projected onto Andy. Andy could only see beauty in others. He could only create beauty in his art. But for me, it's not really a sad story. It's a story of um, even though I can't receive the gaze of beauty onto others, I can see beauty um, in the greater world. I can create beauty, and I can transform that gaze um, into something else.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think we would have the art that we have today if he would have been able to... To Have accepted that gaze, it wouldn't be the same at all. So, yeah. um, what about a favorite piece that he's done? Or, you know, it, do, it does anything I mean, I'm sure probably favorites come in and out, but is there one standard that you've always just loved from the beginning?
1: Gosh, people are going to think I'm so morbid, uh, <laughs> but uh, I can
0: assure you he is not morbid and always fabulous.
1: i you know, I have two things hanging in my office. Uh, I have the skull paintings, which are very dark, um, and uh, but they also vibrate with life, and I, I love them, and they're very influential. Every young artist seems to want to do a skull painting now. But I, I have uh, one of Warhol's Ladies and Gentlemen paintings. And, you know, when Warhol was doing, painting every major celebrity on Earth, <coughs> excuse me, he also... Embarked on this commission series, which was really extraordinary. So he's painting, you know, Mick Jagger and all the biggest celebrities, and then he starts painting these transgendered women who are, you know, sex workers on the West Side Highway, some of them. These are poor people who are doing what they need to survive. And Warhol paints them uh, as part of this commission series in the most joyful, the most exalted uh, way. And they shine with their energy and their spirit in this series of paintings and prints and drawings. And um, for many years, they were unknown as to who they were and what their stories were. But through a lot of research that's been done over the past few years, we know now who they they really were. And I actually ended up knowing one of them during my years in New York, Marsha P. Johnson. Um, So I do have one of those paintings in my office, and I I do love her and looking at her and thinking that Warhol saw her uh, and painted her and uh, raised her up so that the world could see her as she saw herself.
0: Beautiful. I'm getting chills over here. Um, I'm going to do our last little read in of of this podcast. We are going to talk for one second about Jerry's records. They apparently have too many records. So that means that it is time for their dollar sale. They've got over 20,000 LPs for only a dollar. Uh, Again, this is September 27th, 28th, and 29th. So you have all weekend to get to their super sale. Sunday, the 29th, is the super, super sale with four LPs for only $1. They have rock, jazz, soul, country, easy listening, classical, opera, literally any kind of music that you would want to hear, they have at Jerry's. So stop down there. It's the largest used record store at 2136 Murray Avenue in Squirrel Hill. So you can hit the uh, gallery crawl and then go buy some records at Jerry's. Um, and it's also thrival this weekend. So, um and also you can stop at the Warhol Museum this weekend. The one thing you gotta love about Pittsburgh, there's never a shortage of quirky fun things to do. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I bet we might have a special super sale going on for all I know. You
0: might, you might on on, on Warhol's paintings. Can we come down and get those at know, uh, for a dollar?
1: <laughs> we have the best store. I'm sure you've been to the yeah, store. Yeah,
0: absolutely. You could drop you, really could drop you could drop a um a paycheck or two there. So yeah. yeah. Um, Do you find yourself having to stay away from there as well, or are you kind of desensitized to it now after working there?
1: No, I just go and shop.
0: Do you get a discount? I do. So I'm going to befriend Patrick because he and his husband have a house in Spain, and he gets a discount at the museum shop. So Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, Patrick, thank you so much for coming here today to talk with us. Again, it is the 25th anniversary of the Andy Warhol Museum. Andy Warhol Revelation opens October 20th
1: to the public October 19th we're having a big gala oh a gala a gala Mm -hmm. okay yep
0: are tickets on sale on the website or tickets
1: are on sale on the website and Joan Jett is playing
0: get out of here yep Yep. could I get a discount I'm just kidding (laughs) maybe we'll get her to come on the podcast that sounds fantastic so that's sort of the pre the big pre-bash the gala okay
1: and then October 20th though um It's a community day and the museum is free to the public all day long and there are all sorts of incredible education department activities and the um, exhibition opens that day. So October 20th is your day to go to the Warhol.
0: Absolutely. There's zero excuse. It's free to get in. You could see this wonderful exhibit that examines his faith and his Catholicism, which is a part of Andy that maybe you didn't know about, and you can learn more about it. And again, like I said, the Andy Warhol Museum is not just a museum, obviously, as we found out today. There are a lot of reasons to go, so I hope you all head down there. I'll see you there on the 20th, if I don't get arrested trying to sneak in on the 19th to meet (laughs) Joe (laughs) Jett. Patrick, thank you again so much for coming out. I really appreciate your time. All right, guys, until next week, I'm Bethany. This has been the Pittsburgh Current Podcast. Go pick up your copy right now. I'm watching you. Bye. Pittsburgh.